Well, if you uh, read mystery novels or watch uh, mysteries on TV, uh, at my house we have a channel for this, right? Hallmark Movies and Mysteries is on my television, all right? Uh, because we have a we have a person in our house that loves that, and um, and you know that it's not me, just to clue you in. Um, but uh, but if if you uh, if you understand the concept of these stories, right? The the climax of the story is always what? It's the moment of revelation at the end, right? Uh, it's when you come to the part of the story when the detective, be it Miss Marple or Columbo or Sherlock Holmes or Father Brown or whoever, begins to explain how the events that you have been watching unfold or reading all come together and reveal one person behind them all who is carrying out his or her plan in secret, and now it's all revealed. And you sit there and go, that means, right? And it's great. It's a, it's a phenomenal moment. And that is, and if you love mysteries, you love that chapter or that five minutes of the TV show because without that part of the story, there's really no story at all. Just a collection of otherwise random events that are unrelated to one another and indecipherable in terms of their larger purpose. Amen? In the same way, if you read the Old Testament through in a sitting, what you will see along the way, if you're reading carefully, is a large number of clues in a story moving toward a climax, revealing the identity not of the perpetrator of some crime, but of the Messiah, whom God has been preparing since before the world itself was made and in the unf- and you will also see the unfolding of a plan not of a scheme but of a plan of God's own behind the scenes plan for the salvation of the world through his messiah amen and when that moment of revelation comes, what is most shocking is not only the identity of the Messiah, but also the identity of those whom the Messiah saves and how he goes about it. And that shocking revelation of the mystery of God is at the center of our study today in the book of Ephesians. And I want to invite you to look at it with me. Um, Hey guys, can I get these lights on up here? It's hard to see and read without them. Um, There we go. Awesome. I'm an old man. I need lights. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, um, But anyway, if you would look with me at the book of Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 here. And this is what the Word of God says. And if you'd stand here as I read, if you're able. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, so uh, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, thank you that in your word you open up your revelation to us. That you reveal things about you and your plan, things about uh, the way that you are saving people and working in the world, which apart from your revelation we could not and would not know. And that you are telling us about how your transforming work proceeds that we might not only know you and understand you better, but that we might give you praise and honor in our complete surprise that you would be at work to save people like us. And Father, I pray we would continue to deepen our shock at the way your salvation works and how you save the likes of us. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Uh, if you look at the first seven and a half verses of this chapter, what you'll see is that they are about how God mysteriously saves unlikely people, including among them not only the Apostle Paul himself, but also you and me. Unlikely people. And verses 1 through 4, Paul tells a bit of his own story. And we learn that Paul is writing this letter, first of all, from prison. He says he is in prison on behalf of you Gentiles, which is his shorthand way of telling them he was in prison related to false charges uh, related to his gospel ministry among them. You'll remember if you read the book of Acts that Paul has gone from Ephesus, actually, down to Jerusalem where he got arrested because he was seen in town with Trophimus the Ephesian. And people made the assumption that since he was in town with this guy and then we later saw Paul at the temple, he took that Gentile with him into our temple. And where they had him arrested. And he's then spent three years in prison uh, under uh, under the uh, the governor, uh, I think it was Festus first, and then Felix. And then he got shipped off to Rome where he spent additional time in prison awaiting trial before the emperor. And so sometime during this period when he's in prison, he wrote a number of letters, including this one. 
And so when he's speaking, I'm in prison on behalf of you Gentiles, he's speaking quite literally. It's related to one of the members of the church to whom he is writing that he is in prison. To Trophimus the Ephesian. And on top of that, he tells them that he got this ministry that he is doing and for which he is in prison by a revelation. You may remember it in Acts chapter 9. Paul is on his way to Damascus to arrest people who are followers of Jesus, to arrest Christians and put them in prison. And then on somewhere along the road to Damascus, he sees a revelation of God. You remember this? He is knocked to the ground by a blinding light and a voice speaking from heaven. And he says, who are you, Lord? Always a good idea that when a light and a voice from heaven uh, knocks you down to ask, who are you, Lord? And be very respectful about these things, right? And, and the voice speaks and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And all of a sudden, Paul has that moment of clarity. My entire activity, the last few years of my life, has been a giant mistake. Amen? And he's on the wrong side of this question of who Jesus is. He receives a ministry by revelation. And, he, and, and God takes this man who has been the super Jew, if you will. The Pharisee. The member of the strictest sect of Judaism. The one who, these were the people who would, who would tithe from their mint and their cumin. Now, Men, we don't know what that is, right? Um, we know how to like make grilled cheese, maybe macaroni, fry an egg. But mint and cumin, in case you're curious, are, are spices in a spice rack, and they are tiny. They're tiny. And they would take and they would measure out 10% of whatever they had of that and give that to the Lord. Down to the finest details, they would... Uh, they would keep the law. And Paul is one of these guys. He is taught by Gamaliel, a man who is prominent enough in history that he is part of one of the major schools of Judaism, which makes up the Jewish Talmud, this 14-volume uh, compendium of all things related to obeying the law that was written after the temple fell. Paul was the student of this man, Gamaliel. He was a persecutor of the church because of his zeal for Judaism. And God saved him. Can we just say that was an unlikely event? It was an unlikely event. God saving one of the least likely people. And especially to send him to be the missionary to the Gentile nations of the world. According to uh, Pharisaism, you would not enter the house of a Gentile. You would not eat with a Gentile. You would not shake hands with a Gentile. And God sends that man to be the missionary and founder of Gentile churches. Amazing. 
And that takes us to verses 4 through 6 where Paul expresses his hope that they will understand what he understands about the mystery of Christ because the fact is even some faithful and godly people in previous generations did not have enough revelation to understand. Now, whenever I watch one of these mystery shows on TV, I'm always like looking for what did I miss up to now, right? How did I not see this moment clarity coming? What did I not understand? Where were all the things? And you can see it in reverse, right? As they unfold what happened. But you can't a lot of times understand it as you're experiencing it. But you can only see it as you look back. And Paul is saying, look, you need to understand that this mystery that Gentiles will be part of the people of God in the way that they are, was made clear to the apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament era. But here's the truth, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the same promise of Messiah through the gospel. Now that might not hit you as a particularly shocking thing because everybody that you know is a Jewish Christian, I mean, it's not a Jewish Christian, but a Gentile Christian, Right? And you go, well, yeah, that makes total sense to me. Everybody I know in the church is a Gentile, and therefore, obviously, this is not a surprising thing. But this is a surprising thing. Every, every book in this book, with two exceptions, is written by a Jewish guy. The two exceptions are Luke and Acts. Luke is a Gentile. But he's the only Gentile writer in this entire book. Everything that was given was written to and by and for Jews. The law is given to Jews. The Messiah is promised to the Jews through a Jewish man, right? Of the tribe of, uh, uh, from the line of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David, Right? And the expectation in all this is that the Messiah is going to come and He is going to restore and rebuild and save the Jewish people. And God says, well, all that's true. But your vision is not nearly big enough. Through the Jewish Messiah, in accordance with the Jewish Scriptures, in line with the Jewish covenants, we're going to save not just the Jews, but the entire world people of all nations, people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every race, of every variety. This is a startling thing. This is huge. If you read the Old Testament through in a sitting, you'll see in beginning in Genesis 3, the promise of Messiah to come, the need for sacrifice to deal with sin. But you'll also see as these covenants are established, This narrowing down of who the Messiah can be and where he has to come from. And so the idea that you could come to that Messiah without needing first to become Jewish at all was profound and startling. The idea that Gentiles 
could get the same blessing, the same status as Jews and come in the same way as first-class citizens of the new covenant by simple faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to the Messiah in fulfillment of all Jewish expectation was radically shocking. And what is more shocking is who picked, who God picked to be his messenger of these things. Verse 7 says uh, that by grace, God selected Paul. By God's grace, he selected Paul. Even though, even though, Verse 8, though I'm the very least of all the saints. The Gentiles of the world were not and are not the world's righteous people. Amen. If you're looking around the world, you know, and I know what, what, what people talk about uh, in terms of, you know, who the really good people of the world are, right? Let me just explain it this way. The world does not divide between good people and bad people. Amen? The world divides between bad people and Jesus. And guess which category you're in. <laughs> right? If you're not Jesus, you're over here with the rest of us, among the wicked. <laughs> All right? And... But the Gentile nations of the world, in comparison to the Jews of Jesus' day, were nowhere near the front of the line on being, even relatively speaking, righteous. The Roman world was shot through with slavery. It had, uh, it had, you know, we we think pornography is a big deal, but there was prostitution on every street. At every age that you can imagine. Of every kind of perversity. And so the idea that God would send the saving gospel message to the Gentiles. Those pagan, idol, worshiping, Sexually immoral, drunken, bacon-eating people? You've got to be kidding me. Right? And you may look around our world and see the same kind of thing, right? Our world, as it, as it becomes less influenced by Christianity here in the West, is going right back to our natural state. Every kind of perversity is celebrated. Drunkenness is not a sin, it's a goal for the weekend. Right? Marriage is not permanent, it's not a permanent covenant bond. It's a potentially helpful arrangement to you. Right? All of this kind of stuff is starting to happen. And by the way, we are getting more pagan. I don't know if you've noticed. There's all kinds of stuff that 
that we left behind in history that now we are talking about, you know, there's a whole section of Barnes and Noble. You can go in and you learn a whole about how to become a witch. Right? How to worship nature. How to become an environmentalist and have sanctification through recycling. Right? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you you can get into. Right? I'm not kidding. This is real. People really think this. You know, don't have any, you know, we're going to save the world by not having any children. Who are we saving it for exactly? There's never a question that could get answered to my satisfaction on that. But nevertheless, that's what we're going back to. And I say all that not to, not to sing one more chorus of isn't our world awful, but to say this. You know what the shocking thing is? These are the people whom God loves. These are the people whom God saves. These are the people to whom the gospel is intended to go out. And God calls unlikely people to carry the gospel to unlikely people. He did it with Paul. And God in His mysterious grace and overwhelming love has included us. Because you know what the most, the most shocking thing to me about God's salvation is? It isn't that God would save pagan, adulterous, idolatrous people, but that God would save me. I've said before, and I'll say again, that if you knew everything about me that God knows about me, you would not let me be your pastor. But it's also true that if I knew everything about you that God knows about you, I wouldn't let you come here. So... <laughs> So it's all working out, right? <laughs> We're all sinners, amen? All of us are sinners. And God's grace extends to unlikely people. God's grace extends to unlikely people like you and like me. And God has chosen us as members of the same body with the same access to God, with the same membership with God's chosen people in His family. Does the Jew have a special status? Yes, as recipients of all of the tremendous blessings of God's covenant. But you know what else is amazing? It splashes over into and onto and includes us. We get the overflow of God's blessings to His chosen, and then we get included right alongside them with the same status in God's own family. Now, as we look at the rest of these verses, verses eight, the second half of verse 8 down through verse 13, what we see is that God not only saves unlikely people, God also sends unlikely people out on His mysterious gospel mission. God saved Paul, the unlikely convert, and gave him a job. Amen? It had two parts. 
and you, you can see them there in your text. Number one, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see that? That's, that's, uh, that's the end of verse 8. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, to proclaim to unlikely people the, the beauty of the life and salvation and glory of Jesus. Because it is beautiful, the salvation we enjoy in Christ. And he gets to proclaim that. And then also, second part, to make it clear to everyone what they couldn't have known before about God's salvation in Christ. Verse 9, to bring to light what they couldn't have known before. In other words, Paul is, in a sense, if you can forgive me the possible irreverence, Paul is God's Columbo at the end of the story, saying, let me explain how all this works. Let me explain how God's plan unfolded to bring salvation to you. All the pieces of human history fit together to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. God was at work from before the world was made to send forth the Messiah to save you and me. Amen? And the effect of all these things is cosmic in scope. Verse 10 tells us that the church, this new organism that includes both Jews and Gentiles and God's salvation family is a manifestation of God's wisdom to the angelic realm. Some of y'all think church is like something that good people go to on Sunday because they're, they don't go bowling or have a boat, right? No. The church is God's manifestation of His wisdom and glory before the angels. He's saying, you want to know what, my, what the reason for the creation is? Do you want to understand how it is that I am revealing my goodness and my glory in salvation of these lost and wicked people? Look at my church. Look at how good, how great, how grand, how powerful, how majestic I am. Look at the people I save and how I save them. There they are. They're in my church. Church is at the center, in other words, of God's plan for all human history to display His glory in saving our kind of people. People like you and me. Unlikely people. How good is God? If you're a believer in Christ, He's this good. He saved you. He's that gracious. He's that kind. He's that loving. He reaches that far. God is putting His wisdom and glory on display in saving you and me, the unlikely, and bringing us into His family. And it is, according to verses 11 and 12, the revelation of the unfolding of His eternal plan to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ, through whom we not only have membership in the family, but boldness to come into God's presence and access to do so. 
Whenever I think about this, I think about a series of photos that were taken back during the Kennedy administration and published in Life magazine. America uh, at that time stood astride the globe as uh, virtually unchallenged world power. And John F. Kennedy, this young, vigorous president that everybody admired and thought well of, the reality of his own life was a train wreck, but the photos looked good, right? And I remember these photos, of the, uh, they're, they're iconic because they have John Kennedy Jr. playing under the Resolute desk while his dad is talking to some world leader on the phone, right? Now, you and I cannot get into the Oval Office unless it's maybe on a tour, right? But here's this little boy down under the desk of his father who is the commander of the legions of the United States military. Commander of the world's most powerful army. Leader of the world. And little boy in the Oval Office. Men and women, do you think he thought twice that little boy, about going into his dad's office? No. Why not? Because my dad's on the other side of that door. Right? He had boldness as well as access. Amen? We who are saved by God's grace have boldness and access not to someone as insignificant as the President of the United States, but to the King of creation. Because God has revealed His wisdom in saving us. It's an incredible thing. And verse 13 concludes this section. It's Paul's encouragement to the Ephesian church not to be discouraged by his imprisonment. His imprisonment, he says, is their glory. How can that be? Because God has accomplished his purpose in saving them through, uh, saving them through Paul, and he is now using that very imprisonment to bring more of his glory and make it revealed in this letter. Now, I hope that you, as you're looking at these verses with me, recognize that Paul's mission is also our mission. Do you see that? I went through these things pretty quickly, so you might have missed it, but did you see what verse 10 says about the church and how it reveals the manifold wisdom of God? Did you see how often the salvation of the Gentiles is mentioned as being part of God's eternal purpose and how their salvation reveals before the whole world and even the angels how amazing and good and powerful and wise God really is. Can I ask you a question? How do you think the church reveals these things? You think it's simply by existing? Well, in part, yeah, by simply existing as the fellowship of the people of God. Our existence as Gentile believers does testify to God's grace, but here's the other way. 
by fulfilling our calling, which is the same as Paul's, the same as the disciples, the same as the early church, the same as the church of a hundred years ago, the same as the church a hundred years from now. To proclaim the salvation we have received. Amen? It's not just apostles and prophets and uh, elders and pastors and evangelists who exist to tell God's story of how from eternity past he planned to save lost people and did and does. It's for all of us because we're all part of the story and all of us are bound to tell it to others so that they too can be part of the story. Amen? Can I tell you something? Just as an aside, I sin far less than I used to, praise God. But I am far more horrified by what sin remains than I was when there was much more of it in my life. You know what else is true? As time passes and I continue to grow up in, in the Lord, I am more and more surprised and amazed by the grace of God. The idea that a holy God would from eternity past plan to send forth his son into the world to die for the sins of someone like me who very much richly deserves to die and spend eternity in hell away from him becomes ever more startling. And as I grow in the Lord more and more, I also grow in amazement at his love for me. And if you're looking for the mystery of God, this is the mystery. That he is mysteriously in, at work in his church to save unlikely people, people like you and me. And what's even more amazing is that having done so, he chooses to use those same unlikely people to accomplish his mission. He has given us the same mission he gave Paul to proclaim among the nations of the world, including most definitely this one, which is jam-packed with lost people. If you look around our nation and you despair of where we are, do you know why our nation is the way it is? Very simple. That we are jam-packed with lost people. There are more non-Christians in America than there are Muslims in Indonesia. And Indonesia is the world's fourth largest nation. And so if you're curious about why our nation is the way it is, it's because it is packed plumb to the gills with unbelievers. And you and I have a, as our calling... Proclaim what has happened to us, to all of them. So the question is this. Will you, have you, joined the Lord on His salvation mission? Earl got up and talked about Awana, and I can see his heart come through as he talks about Awana and the meaningful impact that a ministry like that can make on someone's life. And you know what? God has used Awana in our church to reach 
hundreds of kids with the gospel. He might be calling you to serve in that ministry. And you might be sitting out there and thinking, in fact, I hope you are. Well, I am the most unlikely person in the world to serve in Awana. Guess what? God uses the unlikely. And if you're looking for a ministry to serve in where you and all your unlikeliness can be used to declare the gospel to other people who it is unlikely will come to Christ, you just found one. Encourage you to participate in that. And if not in that, then in one of the other ministries that we have that reaches out into the community to the people that it seems least likely that they would come to faith in Jesus. Maybe you want to go down and serve at the cafe. Maybe you want to serve in mops. Maybe you want to start a Bible study in your home and invite all of your heathen neighbors. Right? i got heathen neighbors. you probably got some too. Right? And, and invite them in to hear the gospel. Maybe you've got heathen family. I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that God is a God who, because of His amazing grace, specializes in saving and using unlikely people. And the more impressed you are by God's grace to you, the deeper your desire will be to testify about it to other people who are just as in need of it as you are. Amen? Have you joined God on His mission? Lots of opportunity. The fields are white for harvest all around us. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace. Thank You hardly seems enough, in fact. Father, we are we're amazed. We cannot believe that You in Your mercy would save the likes of us. I can't believe You would save me. And yet You have. According to Your mercy, according to Your abundant grace, Father, I can be an angry and short-tempered and impatient and demanding difficult man. And yet you saved me. You saved me in my sin. You saved me when my sins were much, uh, the list was much longer and more abundant than it is today. Your grace is amazing. Father, I pray that you would use me to testify of your grace in whatever way you choose for the rest of my life. Father, that would be my prayer, that that would be the prayer of everyone here in this room. That if they don't know you yet, that they would say, Father, I don't know if you take the likes of me or not, but I'm willing to yield my life to you if you'll take me. Father, I pray that they would yield. May you would bring them into your family by your grace. I pray those of us who are here this morning and are unsure 
how you might use them, Father, I pray you would cause them to yield their heart to you and say, Father, you can use me in whatever way you choose. I will serve because I'm amazed by your grace. And Father, may we all proclaim with loud voices and lives that demonstrate that we are disciples of Jesus the fact of your grace before a watching world and even in an angelic realm that it stands as amazed as we are at who you save and how. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.